following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. What would be the greatest, and by greatest I mean gravest and worst way that a person could attack you? Would it be that somebody would have to operate at night, maybe the early hours of the morning, have some surveillance of you and your family so that they could find the best way to break into your house, hold you at gunpoint, and take your best possessions? Is that the, the worst way that a person could attack you? Would it be that somebody would just watch you and where you go because they know exactly where you are going to be every single time you were on your morning com- commute, Monday through Friday, that at 8 oh whatever and however many seconds you're at this intersection so that they can broadside you with a huge heavy pickup truck? You're thinking, what was Pastor Kerbis thinking about this week? Just bear with me. Would it be that you have some person who's next door, or it could be on the other side of the country, who's just been targeting you online, and then so they can hack into your computer, your phone, your bank information, your identity, your life, and take whatever they want? Is that, is that the greatest way that a person could attack you? Would it be that somebody would just w- wait for you to get to work, and then as soon as they get to work, they would spread tons of lies about you that maybe were semi-believable and try and turn a bunch of people against you? Maybe even get one friend who's like a semi-close friend to also try to stab you in the back and then try to ratchet that up as like propaganda against you so that you'd feel terrible around the people around you? Is, Is that it? Hmm. What about this one? Is it somebody who might maybe like try to poison you? They'd find out your favorite food truck that you like to go to whenever you like to go there, and they would work their way in so that they could negatively affect you physically so you'd be sick for days, and it would negatively affect you for the rest of your life. Would, would that be the worst way that a person could, could attack you? Again, you're thinking, what in the world is he thinking about this week? What type of awful imagination would cause him to ask such things that I was never thinking about but now have to think about because he said them? You have to ask those questions, though, when you get to a day like today. Because so much of what we see and so much of our lives is based on the tangible, materialistic, empirical, what we grasp with our five senses type of reality, and that's really all that we know. And so all of those things that I described before would relatively be, well, would be bad, absolutely, but would they be the worst way? No. Because a way far worse would go something like this. It could be some of those things, it could be all of those things, but it actually would be this. It would be somebody who's close to you, somebody whom you trust with absolutely everything. They know secrets about you that nobody else does. You could say anything to them. If you were incapable of making a decision tomorrow, they would be your power of attorney and you would have no trust, or no doubt, all the trust in the world that they would take care of you. It would be somebody like your spouse, a sibling, a friend, a confidant, You could give them anything and they would take care of you. You know that they're not perfect, but as far as you are concerned, they do their best for your sake. But then it's that person. That person who maybe with some others get close to you precisely so that when you are at your weakest, when you are at your most vulnerable, they will take advantage of you stab you in the back, and hurt you in every possible way that would not just affect you physically. 
which would be bad enough. That would not just affect you emotionally, which would be bad enough. That would affect your soul. And you have to consider that on a day like today when you and I are forced to wrestle with this reality that far transcends what we can only see with our eyeballs and behold with the rest of our senses. You and I have to consider the greatest attacks that aren't just maybe going to happen someday, but are actually being levied against us more than we could ever imagine. Not so that we would leave here scared, but rather would be refortified in the faith and confidence that our God gives us in his protection against all of those attacks. God unveils to us today the deep, dark attacks that, are, that go far beyond what we could see. The dastardly efforts that happen with thieves in the night and hackers behind closed doors. Yes, it is kind of like that, but it is far worse and more devious and heinous the ways that the devil and his demons are out to get us, to lead us astray. We will see exactly how and exactly why our Savior leads us to rejoice. For although his greatest attack is being levied at our expense and against us, our Savior and our God, the judge of all, has the ledger, our eternal name written in the ledger, and it is only bright and eternal. You could even say it's as bright and as permanent as if it was written with lightning itself. I invite you to have that reading open that I just shared from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, the gospel I just shared earlier. It makes perfect sense that these 72 are rejoicing. These 72, first of all, are these other followers that came after Jesus had appointed the 12, and so these 72 were sent out to the surrounding villages so that they might share the message of Jesus. And what do they find out? They find out that even the demons submit to, to their, their command in Jesus' name. Now imagine what this is like at first. What does it mean that they're sent out? Well, go back to the first time that angels showed up in the life of Jesus. Not Luke chapter 10, but Luke chapter 2. Probably one of the most familiar passages in Scripture. You might even have some of it memorized. Remember, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so happy. You giggle because that's not how it goes. They were terrified. Because angels don't look like those cute, cuddly babies that you might see on the shelf at Hallmark. No, babies look like, or babies, <laughs> sometimes babies look ferocious. Angels look like ferocious, huge warriors that terrify the, the living daylights out of anyone that they appear to. That's why every single time an angel appears, what are the first words? Almost without fail in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These angels appear, and what do they say? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Odds are it's the only baby. That's the way that they could find the right baby in Bethlehem. Only baby lying in a manger. And then, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And this is the message. Now fast forward to these 72. This is what they're saying. God's favor is found in the, in the Savior who is here for you and for all. This is where peace is found. It's not found in, in the politicians who are going to free us from the Romans. This, it's, it's not found in you achieving success in your life and in your business. It is found in the Messiah, the chosen one that was promised. And he's here for you to forgive your sins, to give you freedom from this deep, dark world. Yes, an eternal life. That's what those 72 were sharing. And even the demons had to listen. Because when the name of Jesus in this gospel is proclaimed to people, 
It is the power of God to free hearts and souls that have been held captive by the darkness of this world, the deep guilt of sin, and even the deep powers of Satan and his demons. I mean, imagine walking up to someone and physically, emotionally, even spiritually, they're captivated by a demon convulsing. It's hurting them. It's saying crazy, awful, weird things. And because of the name of Jesus and that power, that demon is dispelled. Do you think you'd rejoice? Do you think you'd be a little overjoyed clicking your heels on the way back to Jesus? Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, especially in 2022 in America. Like, Pastor, is this the time where you start talking about Pinocchio also and talking frogs and princesses and things like that, like Disney? Is this what this is about? Like demons? Really? Really? Before you suddenly cast that aside into the realm of all things worthy of skepticism, consider a few important details. Our culture, although it might like to set aside things related to Scripture, our culture is not becoming less spiritual. You might say our culture is becoming less religious. That's not the same. Our culture, actually, younger generations, 40 and under, the, the search for things spiritual is actually increasing. You are not seeing tarot card readers and palm readers and other spiritualists and the ideas surrounding New Age spirituality. You're not seeing those things plummet. You're seeing mainstream religions and their attendance plummet. Absolutely. But spirituality, people that are searching for things that transcend what the material world is offering, that is increasing, especially among people who are under the age of 40. Why? Because people who are under the age of 40 are people who have been marketed to more than anyone else and they are seeing that the material world is letting them down. And so what else is there? There's got to be more to this. And so they are searching and seeking for explanations for that which is good and also that which is evil. And that is only answerable in the spiritual realm. So the idea that, oh, this demon talk is just kind of like Disney stuff, Pastor. No, really? Because our culture, even in America, that would like to say that is being a fat hypocrite at that point because it's not living by that. Our culture is becoming more and more seekers after spiritual explanations. And how do you explain deep, dark evil in this world? I'll explain it another way. I've said this to you before too. You take your life right now and you imagine what you were like half of your lifetime ago, no matter how old you were. You take that understanding of evil in this world and compare it with where you are now. Do you now understand way more about how this world is evil? It's worse than you used to think half of your lifetime ago. Yes? Any naysayers? I don't think so. Yes. So then if that trajectory continues, what is the basement to evil? Like where does it bottom out? If you and I, the older we get, we only see that this world is more and more heinous and evil and wicked, does it not stand to reason that the trajectory only gets to the worst possible evil there is, which is spiritual evil itself that tries to deprive us of eternity, namely Satan and his demons? It only makes sense. We don't believe in something that's just fairy tale folklore. This is rational. I'll explain it another way, too. Have you ever talked to a missionary from South America? missionary from Africa, a missionary from Eastern Europe. I've talked to several from those places. And when I've talked to them, three of them in particular, the subject of demon possession came up. And you know what they say? First of all, they kind of laugh at Americans because Americans can sometimes function like they have horse blinders on and they view the rest of the world like it's like our culture, which is kind of laughable to them. 
But when they live and serve among other people, they have come face to face. And three of them, when they talked to me about demon possession, said they wish it wasn't. They had no propagate, they don't desire that what they encountered was demon possession. They had no desire to explain it that way. It haunts them. It still keeps them up at night and bothers them. But they have no shadow of a doubt that that's exactly what they encountered. And they even, by their own admission, say, I wish it was something else because then it would be a lot easier for me when I think about that. Finally, if you were the devil and you were to think, let's see, I got my playbook here to try and ruin people's lives and pull people away from God. Do you think that on page one of your playbook, it would look something like this? I'm going to wait until they're just about to go to bed and I'm going to hide in the closet, kind of like a boogeyman or something. And then right when they're about to go to sleep, I'm going to bust out of the closet and say, boo! No. Because he knows what will we do. Kicking and screaming all the way back to our God. So does it not stand to reason that he would hide behind cultural currents and social norms, materialism and being lost and all the other things that are busy and important in life so that step by step, foot by foot, moment by moment, day by day, little by little, he can lead us on his pathway of lies farther and farther away from the God of truth who saves us and so he can hide behind those things? Which one is going to work better? Which one do you see working in our culture as you see it. So this is most certainly true. This reality is, well, just that, real. But then you can understand why the the 72 are rejoicing. After you see this play out and then they are dispelled, do you think you would rejoice that they are even dispelled in Jesus' name? Absolutely. I mean, imagine if you were one of the 72. But Jesus, although he knows that there is much to rejoice about in this reality, he doesn't tell them, stop. He says, hold on a second, because he wants to point out the more important reality, which is unseen. They got to see this evil being dispelled, but he is warning them about a greater reality and pointing them to those truths. So what is that? Well, think about what he says towards the end. Well, first of all, he says what? I saw Satan fall like lightning. Do you know what he's talking about? It was described in that lesson in Revelation, that reading from Revelation chapter 12, where where Satan is kicked out. And how is Satan described twice in those verses? He is described as the accuser. The the word Satan literally means to accuse. That's what he does. So what does he accuse us of? The accuser of our brothers and sisters. Well, of all the great deep dark attacks, what, what do you think it is as Satan is out to pull us away from God? Do you think it is really to create a car accident? Like that's the greatest thing that he can do against you? He can poison you. You can get food poisoning. Like that's really the greatest, worst thing he can do. Is it really that he would just hurt you and cripple you in some way physically, create some infirmity, or even just hurt you emotionally? Is that it? It is to do whatever he can to pull you away from your God where your conscience is left to the ruination of itself and you have nothing else but you. So how does he do that? Well, I imagine it going something like this. Let's say, uh, here I am standing before God and I think of all of the people that I really care about, people that I respect highly. Think of people like you. And do I want you to think about me in ways that are poor and negative? No, I don't want that. Do you want that of other other people around you? No, you don't want that either. But then I expect something like this, that when it comes to the things that I've said or done in the past, 
Now here comes the prosecuting attorney who's going to accuse me. And what does he have but semis and semis full of boxes of evidence of all the things that Caleb has said and done. Oh, look at this thing. He calls himself even a pastor. And does he have reason to accuse me? Is it true? <laughs> He's not lying. Like this is the one time that the father of lies is actually telling the truth. Like look at the things this guy has done so he can accuse me. Like, you call yourself a, a Christian? You call yourself a brother in Christ? You call yourself a pastor? And even before God, look at what he can say. Like, this, really, this is, one of your, this is one of your kids, huh? Like, this is one of your kids. This is like one of those pastor kid moments where you're like, oh, they're supposed to behave better, but then they don't. Not like that ever happens. This is, this is one of those times when all of a sudden, worse than an accident or a hack or somebody breaking in and holding you hostage at gunpoint, worse than all of that, this is someone who gets close in the most spiritual way and they lay it all on the table and they're not wrong. And this is worse than just like telling some friends that you care about their opinion of you. This is saying it before God who accuses you before God day and night. You, you really think this is a Christian? Look at this. Look at this person. And what am I to think? Because what's my comeback? Well, I tried. I gave it a good old college try sometimes, God. Is that it? Well, I tried to outweigh the bad with the good and in the scale. Like, it's not, it's not terrible. Is that it? <laughs> but this is where God chimes in. Because you know what God says? Ah, yes. I, let me think. Let me think a second. I know. I know who this is. This is that person that I washed in baptism and claimed as my own child. This is the, the one that I cleansed through the blood of Jesus. His perfect life in his place. His death that covers over it all. And his resurrection that proves that he has eternal life. This is, this is my child. Not on account of what he has done, but on account of what my son has done for him so that he would be my son. Yeah, I put my name on him when he was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I don't care what you accuse, the payment's already been made, and he is mine. And there's no double dipping into this debt, so to speak, where you can think that you're going to claim him, because that's not how it works. So away he goes, and he's got nothing to say. And my dear Christian friends, that is true of me. That is also true of you. The greatest way that he can accuse you is by getting you one step, one moment, one inch at a time to think that you can fix your life, humanly speaking, doing it yourself. That you can find value in all of these other places that just so happen to be the wrong places. That your identity is wrapped up in what you accomplish and what others think about you. That your time is so valuable that you need to find joy in all of these other things more than anything else. That what God says, when it doesn't really jive with your worldview and your opinions, well, the easiest thing to do is just ignore those pages in God's word. One step, one little bit, one moment at a time to lead you to find whatever it is that you're looking for in any of the wrong places except the right place. That's what he's after. So that at just when you're the most vulnerable and just the right time, he is like that person that is so close to you that you would trust with everything and he can throw your guilt in your face and then what do you have to show for it? Yourself. And how is that going to go? I don't have an answer for myself either. And that is why Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Don't rely on what you see. Instead, rely on these truths, the promises of God that exist in what you can't see. 
Notice what he says. You can trample snakes and scorpions. Don't rejoice that you can dispel these spirits. Rejoice that your names are written where? What did he say? That your names are written in heaven. You don't see that reality. You don't see God taking a pen and writing in bright ink as though it shined like the radiance of lightning itself. You don't see the blood of Christ, which is the ink that carved your name into the inheritance of paradise. You don't see how God sends his angels to fight against Satan and the the demons that are out to get you. You do not see all of the lies that are permeating. You see some of them. You do not see all of them. I don't either. All of the lies that are trying to affect not only culture and politics and news and society and your friends and your family and all of those things that are working to create a reality that pulls you away from God. We see some of it. We don't even see all of it. Sliver on the pie chart is what we can see. We don't see that. But far beyond what we can't see, God is at work to remind you of this reality. Your name is written in heaven. And that same gospel message is your power to say to the person that you see in the mirror, the person who disappoints you probably the most, which is, if you're anything like me, yourself. And you get to say what? When those accusations are thrown in your face, you're a child of God. Do not forget who God made you to be in your baptism. Not who you could create, but who God made you to be. His own child. Do not forget what God has given you as he's fed you his life-saving word as he's even given you Christ's body and blood that certify that you are Christ's child and that you get his forgiveness. Do not forget that. Since this is God's power for you then, then isn't this God's power for others? I mean, look at the world around you. How many people are captivated by deep, dark evil? Whether it is way too much attention on all of the negativity around us or whether they are captivated in other ways. Don't you and I have the one thing that dispels the greatest, deepest, darkest evil? It's the message of our Savior that in his name he seeks to bring peace that lasts forever. He gives forgiveness that will never fail and eternal life where there is no end. Isn't it wonderful that no matter what kind of attacks are against you that God sends his angels to watch over you? I mean, how many of us would like to think that if just for one day God hit the pause button on the angels for you and for me, just for us in this room, God hit the pause button, would you like to think about what would happen? Luther once hypothesized, just hypothesized what it would take if God hit pause on the angels. And he hypothesized that it would take 10 minutes for the demons to destroy everything. He's just ampli- it's just an hypothesis to, to amplify two truths. One, That is how bad the demons are. And two, that is how great God's protection and his angels are for you. So dear Christian, no matter what you face, no matter how fearful, no matter how guilty, no matter how worried, God sends his angels concerning you to guard you. God gives you his gospel, which washes away any guilt or accusation. It is as if God has busted out his ledger And he has taken your name and written it with the blood of Christ so that you are certified to live with him forever like your name is written in heaven. It says it, oh wait. God, by his grace, through the working of Christ, already has. Amen. Amen.